Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you doing? All right. So, hey, check this out. If you were here last week, I already gave you... Yeah, next slide. Uh, if you were here last week, you already heard this announcement. And if uh, you weren't here, this is exciting. We've worked it out with the contractors. So next Sunday afternoon, we can sneak into the building, right? Come on. How many of you want to see the building before it's done, right? And so you can get a building tour. But the more important thing is uh, we're going to do a little bit of worship. And uh, then we're going to be able to write prayers in places that are going to get covered up, they're going to be there forever. So we're going to be able to write where the stage goes. If you want to write something about, you know, declaring the Word of God and all that exciting stuff, or you want to write something about children's ministry and a heart for kids and God to save kids, you can go down to the hallway where the kids' rooms are going to be. We'll be able to write inside the walls and all that kind of stuff. So it's an exciting time. And then we're going to recruit you all. As I said last week, if you're writing prayers for kids, we're going to put you on the kids' team. And if you're writing prayers for worship, we're going to put you on the worship team. I'm just kidding, but probably not. Anyway. So, hey, don't miss this because this is the only chance until August for you to be able to get in there and do that. This is the only time we're going to be able to write all of these prayers and they're going to close up the walls and and that's it. So, you know, it's not like we won't be praying ever in the future, but this is an exciting opportunity to get to do something that's going to be there forever. So that's kind of cool, right? Um, Anyway, so 3.30 next Sunday afternoon at that building. Don't come here. 3.30, a couple hundred yards down the street. Everybody who's new to Grace Life always uh, stops me in the hallway afterwards and says, where is this? It is, take a right out of here and count to about three. Um, There you go. I mean, it's it's right down the road. So, well, hey, everybody, we're starting a new series today. It's a very short series, only three parts, and it's a little bit of a a short study of the story of Nehemiah. And our theme is the idea of doing something beyond ourselves, building beyond ourselves, something bigger than we could do on our own. I think the truth is we all admire history makers. Every one of us would like to be someone who went down in history for doing something famous. They're remembered for doing this amazing thing. We maybe even have a holiday named after some of these people. We, we think it would be great to be one of them. We have a secret desire to be that kind of person. But the truth is, when it comes down to actually stepping out and doing something big like that, it's honestly just a little bit scary, isn't it? And it's overwhelming. And think about this. How do you actually feel when your gut feeling is, this can't be done? And we kind of have those thoughts sometimes. But at the same time, we we, we know that God has called us to do something beyond ourselves. Maybe for you, God said, hey, I'd like you to go and just just lead a group. Just gather some people around you and teach them to follow me like someone taught you. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I I don't know if if people will even come. I I don't know what I would say. I don't know if I could teach them. Maybe your bigger thing was, you know, uh, Kent and I didn't know each other at the time, but but about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, uh, in the Lamb, Joe, uh, we were three of the four families that God said, "Go, go move. Sell everything, pack up everything, quit your jobs and go to Columbia and start a church. That was a little scary because I had a house and I had a job and I had a paycheck and I had a church. And God said, give all that up and go see if you could do something else. Sometimes being a history maker can be a little bit scary. And it's easier when you're younger, right? I mean, come on. Anybody with a mortgage and kids and a couple of car payments or something, you know what I'm talking about? It's hard to take a risk. See, when we're young, we have less to lose. Right? 
Any any young people in the room? I mean, you could lose your phone or like your your uh, PlayStation or something like that. As you get a little older, it's riskier. And uh, you know, the other thing about it, when we're young, we are still not yet aware it, it can't be done. We actually believe. You know, we dream. When I was in college, I was a music major, and so we would go uh, during the summer to all these shows. We'd go around every night to these different things. They were called drum corps shows. Anybody have a clue what I'm talking about? Wow, praise God. Somebody in here knows what I'm talking about. It's like professional marching band. Okay, yes, your pastor's a geek, but leave me alone. It's okay. But here's the thing. Every one of these shows was like a fundraiser, and so whichever school or whichever college or whichever civic organization was hosting it, they were making money. And so we thought we could host one of these and make money for our school of music as well. And I was actually the crazy person that had that idea. I was like 19 years old and thought we could do one of these. And so I called and found out the information and what it would do to host a show. And here's, here's kind of how it went down. If you could sell enough tickets, you could make like thirty dollars or $40,000 or $50,000 in one day. Isn't that exciting? I mean, come on, how many of you right now, if I came to you and said you could make thirty dollars to $50,000 in one day, who would be interested? Interested? There you go. But what if they said, so here's what's going to happen. You have to front thirty, forty, dollars or $50,000 and hope you sell enough tickets to get that money back and then hope you sell enough tickets to make the other 30, 30 40, 50. Okay, how many people are now interested in, in putting that money up? You see, that's what I'm talking about. We get older and we want to play it safe. Well, I was just dumb enough to say, what? who's worried about that? So at 19 years old, I signed that contract and we hosted the show and we made just enough money that I didn't know anybody anything. And that's kind of how that went down. But I'll, I'll tell you the truth. If somebody came to me today and said, you could make $50,000 in a day hosting a show, I'm with you. I wouldn't do it because I got a mortgage and I've got kids and they've got college, and I've got a savings account, and I've got a car. And, you know, we've all got things that we need to do. And the truth is, sometimes God will speak something big to you. Maybe it's a God-given vision. Maybe it's just a dream, and you're not even sure if it's from God or from yourself. And you think, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. That's why we're going to look at Nehemiah. I don't know a better story in the Bible for someone who did something so much bigger than themselves, someone who built something beyond themselves. And we're going to talk about what that means to each one of us. Now, I'm also going to be up front as we do this. This is a family moment for us at Grace Life Church. So if you're a guest, there is absolutely no pressure on what we're doing as we're going through this. But if this is your church, we began a journey two years ago in March. And every March, we've talked about it since then. So in March of 2016, we made the commitment together as a family that we believe God has called us to move out of this rented warehouse. I mean, look around the room. How many seats do you see? Not very many, right? Uh, this, is, this is what we're doing. We're already at three services just into this space. And we said, we're going to build that building that's just a few hundred yards from here. At the time, we thought we we're going to build something from the ground up, but God gave us that. It was so much bigger and so much cheaper to renovate that we kind of switched the idea over. And so two years ago, we began that idea. And every March, we've come back to say, where are we? And the reason for that is because we are growing so fast. There are many people in Grace Life now as we go into our third and final year of this, that weren't here in the second year and definitely weren't here in the first year. And so we just want to be up front. That's what we're talking about for these three weeks is what God's called us to do and what our part is together. Absolutely no pressure. For those of you who have been here along the way, you know this has been a no-pressure gig the whole time. And again, if you're a guest, well, God may call you and invite you to be a part of this, but if not, every single one of us can take what we're going to hear about Nehemiah and apply it to our lives in another way. 
So this is going to be good for all of us. Is that okay, everybody with me? Yeah. All right, well, if you've got your Bibles, you can go and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. It's where we're going to begin, but I'm going to give you a little context first, a little backstory. We're going to go back in time before Nehemiah about 160 years. So we're about to read where Nehemiah is, but first, let's back up about 160 years. And, and the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar has conquered Israel as they actually conquered most of the known world. And they carried some of the Israelites, the Jews, off to be their slaves. Now, this is not just a story in the Bible. If you went to school, you've already heard about King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. You probably learned this in middle school. Some of you are having like really bad nightmare flashbacks of like history class in seventh grade. Like, oh, I don't want to do this again. Please, no. Okay, sorry. Just a minute more of middle school history class. And so then what happened about 65 years after that is the Babylonians were conquered by a group of people called the Persians. Once again, sorry for the middle school flashback. All right, so we're going to pick up the story now, 95 years later. Nehemiah is alive, and Nehemiah is actually, he's got a really cool job. He is the cupbearer to the king. So only on the day where someone tries to poison the king does he have a bad job. Every other day, he's got the best job. He lives in the palace. He's at the king's right hand. He has the king's trust. He's got favor with the king because think about this. This is kind of like the person who is in charge of the secret service detail for the president. I mean, the president puts his complete life in the hands of this guy or, or woman, and then they are at his right hand. And if they say duck, he ducks. If they say go this hallway, go, and he goes down this hallway. I mean, there is such a tight-knit relationship there. And so if he, he, this person can walk into the White House and talk to the president. I mean, come on, that's a pretty cush situation, right? And so that's kind of where Nehemiah was. He was at the king's right hand. And anything that he needed was there. He had a very good life until one day it all got messed up. That's where we're going to pick up the story because one day his friends had been to his home, which was Israel, Jerusalem. And they came back. And as they came back, Nehemiah said, hey, how, oh, what's going on? How are things? And he's just, I think he's just having an average walk in the park kind of conversation. You know, when you say to somebody, hey, how you doing? What do you expect him to say? Fine, good, great. And, and you're always a little thrown off when they stop and go, well, actually, things are miserable. I really need you to help me. And you're like, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't think Nehemiah was prepared for the answer he got. Verse 3, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Matter of fact, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. He would have had no reason to think this was the case. You see, when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, they allowed some of them to go back home. I don't know, maybe they were just pickier than the Babylonians and they were, uh, yeah, we, they, we don't like you ugly we don't like you i mean because of the babylonians took everybody as slaves the persians decided to let some of them go maybe there were too many who knows it doesn't really matter for 95 years longer than nehemiah has been alive the israelites have been allowed to go back home and to begin to rebuild their world why would he have any idea that things are as bad off as they are the problem is they're not good and he discovered that he discovered that while he was living this incredibly easy life, because he did not go back home, he was still born in exile, he was still a slave, so to speak, even though he had one of the best jobs there could be. He's living an easy life, a comfortable life, a profitable life. But then he discovers that his people and his home are in complete distress. And so now he's aware of a problem. 
So what is he going to do about that? What is his response? He said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, the truth is he's devastated. The news of what is going on is breaking his heart. And it's not just that he's sad about the news. He actually cannot ignore the news. The news has actually become a burden to him. And that, See, that's where the change is. I mean, come on, do you guys read the news or you ever hear the news or you, you get on your phone, you're bored, you pull up a CNN app or something like that and you're looking at what's going on in the world? I mean, we are aware of so many things that are so wrong all around us. But then we close our app and we go on our way. How much actually bothers us? But this bothered him and it bothered him deeply. Matter of fact, it was such a burden he couldn't hide it. Chapter 2, verse 1. I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. This is a pretty perceptive guy. And so Nehemiah turns to him and says, Let the king live forever. But why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? <laughs> I love the king's response. I think I would have liked this guy. The king's response is, so what are you going to do about it? All right, so what are you going to do about it? You read the news, and it bothers you a little. Maybe it bothers you a lot. So what are you going to do about it? The king says, what are you requesting? Really, it's a pretty good question, don't you think? What is he going to do about it? Nothing. Nothing's easy to do. How many times do we see something in the news, we read, we go, what a shame. Or more likely, as Christians, we look at it and go, Jesus, come soon. Come on, y'all. Yeah, don't look at me all holy like that. I, that's what I do. I have to, I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you got to come back. And then we just go on our way. Nothing's easy to do. Are you going to do everything? Nobody can do everything. What are you going to do about what you see? Nehemiah had the best response ever. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nothing wasn't good enough. Everything's not a possibility. I need to talk to God about what he wants from me. What would God call me to do? I think this is a part we skip way too often. I mean, we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. And we're too busy to take time and say, but God. But God, what, what might you do through me? So he did pray, and he came back with an answer. And I said to the king, well, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me that you send me to judah to the city of my father's graves that i may rebuild it i want you to just think about this for a minute because when we read the story it, 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 we can lose the context of what's really going on and the turmoil that i think he probably went through all too often of course you read history from from where you are and you just see the story and you just think wow what a great person and a, and, and that's just amazing like maybe we would look at Martin Luther King Jr. and go, man, amazing. I wish I made that kind of dent in history. I could have, if I were alive in the 60s, I could have stood up and make that kind of difference. But do you realize that his life was threatened virtually every day? That even his own friends turned against him and said he wasn't doing it the right way? I mean, if you make history, it's not easy. And most of the time, no one is standing with you. And I want you to think about how difficult this decision was for Nehemiah. Because he is living in absolute comfort at the king's right hand. And, and he could have said, 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put together a detail of the best Persian workers. I mean, look, you guys have built a kingdom. I, I know you've got some really skilled people. And if you would, send those people over there and have them fix my city for me. And I bet the king would have said yes, because he was at the king's right hand. But that's not what he said. He said, I'll tell you what, send me. I want you to think about how difficult this was. Nehemiah was not a recognized leader of his people. We, we get the idea that he was because he went back and became one. But you need to follow this. He was still born as an exile in the Persians. And, and he's deciding to go back and to become a leader of people who don't want to be led. They've lived with their city like this for over 95 years, meaning people have lived and died. Other people have been born and are now living, and they don't care. So Nehemiah is going to show up and say, hey, everybody, we need to do something about your town. And they're going to look at him and say, who are you? You're a traitor. You live in the palace. You keep the enemy king alive. Why should we listen to you? See, when you read the story, sometimes we don't get that part of it. He wasn't a recognized leader. He may not have been a liked leader when he first showed up on the scene. On top of that, he wasn't a priest. No one was going to respect him. He wasn't even a brick mason or a contractor, and he's going back to build walls. Now, let me tell you something. Building a wall is not as easy as you think. Has anybody ever tried to do something like that? Especially out of bricks. They used bricks back then. One of the biggest fights my wife and I ever had. <laughs> Sorry, but I told it in the first service. I got to tell it in this service was when I tried to build a wall. We were first married. We had moved into a new house, and we decided we were going to build this little cinder block wall and, and build some trees on both sides of it. It's going to be kind of landscaping in the front yard. It was going to be a great effect. And so we, we already had the bricks and the blocks left over from the construction of the house. And so, you know, trying to be the, the cheap teacher who would work in the summertime and, and, you know, sweat equity in your house, right? Come on, anybody with me? And, and so you're like, I can figure this out. This was before YouTube, just so you know. And, and so... We go out and, and we dig a little ditch and we put some of these concrete blocks, cinder blocks down and make some mortar and put some down and put the other block down and all the mortar goes. Psh. I'm thinking, I've seen buildings like, like mortars that thick. How do they get this stuff to stay there? And so we mixed up a little more mortar, did it a little bit differently. We tried it again and the bricks went, Psh. you know, and, and the mortar goes out sideways. And, and then my wife looked at me. You should laugh. It's good that we can laugh, babe. That's what she's saying. And she said what no woman should ever say. I'm going to put this in my weddings in the future. She said, I could do it better than you. All I'm going to say is there was a few wedding, uh, uh, few marriage series that came out of that moment. You've all already learned from them the hard way. But here's the point. Nehemiah didn't know how to build a wall any more than me. It's a difficult job. His entire resume. Have you thought about this? Do you know what Nehemiah's resume said? One line. I can sip wine. <laughs> Bring me a cup. I won't drop it. I can take a sip. If you're in doubt there's poison, I can do a second. Been doing it my whole life. Might even can take a bite of the cake and chew that too. That's what I'm good at. But I'm going to build a wall because my people need it. See, and you may think, who am I? God, why would you tell me to gather some men around me and teach them how to be husbands? I mean, who am I? I fight with my wife on occasion too, and I don't know that I know that much. Who am I? 
God, I know a couple of chords on a guitar. What could I do for you? I mean, the worship team, I think they probably have they, they, no, six or seven chords. I only know like three. What could you do through me? Who am I? What, well, God, I only have this. Or God, I'm only that. Or God, I only know this. Who am I? What could you do through me? Good thing. Nehemiah didn't ask that question. Because all he was was a normal guy that stood at the right hand of the king and took a sip before every meal. That's all he knew how to do. But he got a burden that he wouldn't let that answer be good enough. He bought into something and said, I don't care. I'm going to do something because somebody's got to do something. And at this point, you may be saying, oh, that's a great story, Jimmy. But, you know, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with us? Well, the reality is many people have done things in history. I mean, think about Steve Jobs and Apple. I mean, built one of the greatest companies in the world, and everybody's been trying to imitate it forever. I mean, I can't even get through a Sunday morning without Apple, you know? It's like, this is just how we function. But someday, it's not going to be here. It, it, it's, it's temporary. Now, I hate to say it, but I know someday before my lifetime is up, I'm going to have to learn how to use an Android device, which is going to be struggling for me because I don't know how to use anything that doesn't have an eye in front of it. Some of y'all figure that out later. How about Rome? One of the greatest empires that ever existed. But that too was temporary. So what I have an idea for is that we could actually build something that will change lives for eternity. We have an opportunity to do something that will make an impact that is not just temporary. We can build beyond ourselves. But I want to show you the process we need to go through. It's the exact same process Nehemiah went through. Started with this. We become aware See, Nehemiah was living a very good, comfortable life until, until he found out there was a problem, until he cared enough to do something about it. And most of us, honestly, we're just like him. We're, we're good people with good lives. We've got a lot going on. Maybe you're a family, and, and you've got kids, and just the chaos and keeping up with the hectic schedules of getting them to, to this thing and to that thing and to school and getting homework done and trying to get that done for 18 years or 12 years or whatever it is and string it all together and get them out of the house is like that's the only goal it's the only thing you can see my wife and i decided to do one of these dumb parent ventures every every parent in the room's got one of those dumb parent adventures where we looked at each other and said you know it'd be fun the kids learn the new skill like basketball like you know let's get them off their ipads and sign them up for basketball so we go and sign all three of our kids up for basketball at the y and uh, well the first thing we've discovered is none of our kids are playing in the nba it's almost say that's just not happening. But we thought it would be easy because, you know, three kids, same league. This is going to be simple. It turns out that, that they put their practices all at different times. So we got three different kids having three different practices all on Wednesday night. Our Wednesdays are gone. It's like I rush home from work to pick up one, get them there. I don't get dinner. That child doesn't get dinner. Nobody else eats dinner because we're not home. And then she comes later with the other two kids. They go to two different courts and they do their practice. And by the time she gets back home with them, it's bedtime. And it's like we didn't even have a day. It's just gone every single week. But then the fun part comes. That was the easy day. And then Saturday comes, and we've got three kids having three different games all day long, except when they actually conveniently put two of the kids at the exact same time in two different cities. <laughs> we've had that happen two Saturdays. Oh, look, they're both at 930, and one's in Irmo. What? <laughs> and I'll tell you the truth. Even though I'm a pastor just getting in and out of the practices and the games, I don't, I don't look at people. I don't see people. I don't know what's going on around me. 
You know, you get there on Wednesday nights and, 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 and there are times where my wife was, was doing something else and so I took all the kids and I'm just locked into the gym for two hours. That's boredom. I hate boredom. And you can only do so much on your phone. Actually, one Wednesday I wrote an entire sermon. <laughs> Basketball is bouncing at me. I'm not going to tell you which one, but it's probably one of the ones that wasn't so good in the month of February. But there was a time when I didn't have a sermon to write. And I checked all my email on my phone as much as I could and found myself just sitting. And for once, I actually decided to look at the people in the room. And here's what I saw. Now I'm making these up. I saw a very frustrated mom berate her kid for jumping all of the furniture because she just didn't know what else to do. Apparently, this isn't the first time she's tried to say no and the kid kept doing something. And I think she's at her wit's end. I saw a married couple fighting about something, and honestly, the fight was so big, and they're so fed up with each other, they didn't even try to keep the fight at home. They didn't seem to care how many people watched. I saw a very tired businessman show up, bring his son to practice, looking completely exhausted, honestly, maybe even a little depressed, because he just sat motionless with his coat and his tie, not watching his kid, not checking his phone, not even moving for an hour. I actually saw a husband come into a game. The wife had, had everything set up. There, there are no bleachers at, at the, the Y where we do this, and so everybody has to bring their own little folding chair, and the wife had come earlier, and she had set up all the chairs. The grandparents were coming. So there were like five chairs, and, and everybody was there, and I saw the husband come in a little bit later, and he walked over beside his wife, and he picked up his chair and went to the other side of the gym and watched his son from there. You see, when we see this, when we become aware, it might mess us up. We might actually say, this is a broken world. wonder if we could change it. Which leads us to the second thing. We end up getting a burden. The truth is, our community is filled with these stories. Not a one of those was a, a made-up story. All of those were witnessed in just one night that I had nothing to do except look at people. You see, our community is filled with marriages that are struggling, businessmen that are overwhelmed, maybe because, well, it's tough. And if you really want to make it, and turn a profit, sometimes ethics gets a little questionable. But then the stress and the fear of getting caught becomes overwhelming. There are families that don't know where their next meal is coming from. There are students that go to school every single day and they feel completely insignificant and hopeless. And as a church family, we have decided we want to do something about this. We have that burden. Which leads us to the third thing that happens. We have to be moved to action. See, Nehemiah became aware. Many people were aware, though. And Nehemiah said, but I'm going to do something because he had a burden. And so then he did. Simple thing is we actually do have to do something. As a church, we've decided, as I told you earlier two years ago, we simply want to do more for our people in our community. But we've reached a limit. I mean, just look around. There's only so many empty chairs. We could only reach so many people if we tried. We're already doing three different services and some of them not at the best times. And yet... Despite all of that, 40 salvations here at Grace Life in the last eight weeks. Come on, somebody celebrate that. So imagine what God would do in a room that had twice as many seats for those people and their friends. Imagine what God would do in a building that could actually be found. <laughs> imagine what God would do in a building that can be seen on one of the most influential streets that has over 20,000 cars a day driving by it. Imagine what God could do as he whispered to someone that drives by and says, huh, check that out. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, maybe you should. 
this weekend and they hear the gospel for the first time, just imagine what God could do and how many more lives could be changed. That's why we decided two years ago that we needed a better tool. So this is what we're doing as a family. I want to challenge us to come together and to do something, something that would cause us to build beyond ourselves, something that's bigger and would last longer. So I'm going to ask you to do the one thing that Nehemiah did. No matter what the answer is, I don't care. It's between you and God. Did you remember when he said this? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's all I'm going to ask of you, that you will pray, that you will ask God, what is your part? Now, look, I, I want to throw a little caveat in here because as Christians, we're, we're really good at believing in a miracle God. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? We've got a miracle God. He, he does amazing things. And, and two years ago, when we began to talk about the idea of doing this and saying we needed $4 million to do this project, one of the things that just blew my mind was when we did our week of prayer and fasting a little bit later, and, and people wrote on their cards the number one thing that they want God to do in their lives was to give Grace Life $4 million. And that was amazing and humbling as a pastor to see the number of people that said, I don't have a need right now that's greater than what I want God to do for my church. I don't want to make light of that. We've been praying for miracles for years. Every time the staff gets together, we pray for seven-digit checks to come in the mail or some stranger to win the lottery and drop by. We pray for the miracles. But I want you to notice Nehemiah didn't. Nehemiah didn't sit and say, God, I pray you will do something over there while I sit here in my comfort. Now, Nehemiah said, God, what do you want me to do? And that's where I want to challenge us. I want each of us to ask God that question, two questions in particular. Number one, ask God, how would you want me to serve? God, what would you want me to do? Because we, we've talked all along. The building is, is a bunch of concrete. It's a bunch of steel. It is just a building. It is a tool. It is a valuable tool. But at the end of the day, God uses people to touch people. In all the years we've been doing this, no one has ever come to me and said, Pastor, I want to tell you, the chair has really changed my life. Never heard that one. I've never heard someone come and say, the lights you have during worship, that's what made me come back. That was impressive during worship. <laughs> Matter of fact, we've had people not come back because of the lights. These are all tools, and I think they're great tools. After all, if we didn't have these tools and if we just said, why don't you show up, stand under a tree in the rain and we'll worship God together, chances are this would be a smaller crowd and probably wouldn't have 40 people who didn't know Jesus willing to do that. So it is just a tool. But at the end of the day, people touch people. And when we move into that building, we need every person saying, God, what would you have me do? You want me to gather some people around them and myself and teach them what someone has taught me? You want me to go over there and serve? There's, there's an empty spot right over there. I could go over there and, and do what they need done. I could go over here and lead this team. There's a team of people, and they don't really know what to do, and I'm a leader. I could go lead. How would God have you serve? And then the obvious second question is, how could I give? Yes, the building is just a tool, but it's a much-needed tool. And I want you to think about this. We've been in this space, a rented space, that we're going to move out of for a decade. We don't build buildings every day. That's why it's going to be so special next week when we get to come together and write these prayers in the walls and on the floors. And it's going to be there for as long as we use this building for decades to come because this is for decades to come. In this space, in this weird place, God has, seen, God has sent hundreds of people that we have seen make Jesus their king. Imagine what God will do there. 
for decades to come. Think about it. So what I'd like to do is, is just share with you what, what the opportunity is. If you're seated on the left-hand side, there's a bucket under your seat. And if you will pass that down the row, if you have never had either one of these, pick one up. Some of you have seen these. This is the brochure telling you what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then the other one is a commitment card for the final lap, the final year. You, you maybe saw these before, but they were for three years or two years. This one is for 12 months because this is where we are. And, and that will lead us to, if you will, check out the screen right now and let me explain where we are. We are, uh, that's where we're headed. That's what the building is going to look like in August. That's exciting. But we've been doing this for two years now and one year to go because it's, it's such a big task. And it's a big project. And so we've been using this language right here. Uh, it's like a three-lap race. And we're headed to the finish line. And so in lap one and lap two, what did we accomplish? Well, we got all the architectural design done. We got the, the project development and all of the permitting. We were able to give almost a million dollars. That's actually closer to a million than 900000 And we were able to purchase the building, close on the loan, construction began. And that's a lot. And we celebrated the day that construction began. And everybody was like, yeah! that's huge but that was like me as a duke fan i'm a huge duke fan and thursday night i was like yeah and if anybody's watching basketball i was not doing that friday night because they didn't finish and the third lap is very very important so check this out here here's what we've got to do between march and february of next year our last 12 months well for one we've got at least six months this year two of them we've already done where we're making two payments we have two homes one that we're building and one that we're living in uh, the second thing is we've added some to our budget for our audiovisual and lighting we, we just looked at what that was and said okay sorry that's not enough we need to fix that and then the other thing is we want to change uh, the visibility of that building we own all of the trees and the property next to it we want to see some of those trees come down because actually we have parking spaces that go where some of those trees are, so they have to come down. Uh, we need to add a lane that comes in so that the driveway you see right now will simply become the exit. It will be a double lane exit. So we're adding an entrance and we're bringing some of the hill down, some of the trees down so that, so that we can see the building and it will be more attractive to, to people driving down the road. The bottom line is we need to cross the finish line. And here's the deal. We're doing this part in cash. We're not borrowing anymore. So uh, some of you are going to cheer for that, and some of you are going to go, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Well, hey, um, we've borrowed all we want to borrow. We began construction. We've already done the loan, and at this point, we believe God can do this because that's what he's done so far. And in those first two laps, we were able to give just under a million. It looks like we should be able to do about 480000 pretty easily together as a family if we come together as a family. So what's coming up, again, this is a three-part series, and part one is now officially behind us because I'm finished. So here, here's what's going to happen in the next two Sundays. Next week, again, March 18th, 3.30 in the afternoon, we're going to be there, and we're going to ask God to finish what he began. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to write prayers. This is going to be a cool time. Get to tour of the building. It's going to be a lot of fun, right? If anybody's ever built a new house from scratch, you know that time where you go over there and the walls are up and you kind of get to walk through it and think, this is going to be my bedroom kind of thing, you know? It's going to be special. So hope to see you guys there. Um, and then the last thing, the final lap kickoff offering, uh, two weeks from today, that's when you can either bring these back um, and say, this is what I feel like God's leading me to do for these final 12 months, or you can also bring an initial offering or your one-year offering. We have people who have chosen over the three years to do once a year. And someone actually asked me this week, this is funny, it happens every year. Someone asked me this week, when am I supposed to do my offering for this year? Okay, the answer is you can give money any day you want. That is always the correct answer. We always take money. But 
hey, this is a good time. March 25th, for those of you that are saying, let me add this up and uh, wait for that one time. March 25th would be great as we kick off our final 12 months. We've got to cross the finish line. It's just that simple. We've got to do what God told us to do two years ago as we began. This is our last lap, and I think we can do it. So I want to close with a, a quote. How many of you know who William Wilberforce is? He was the great Christian abolitionist who spent his life fighting to end the slave trade in England. And he said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. And here's the truth. We believe lives are changed through the local church. And we have a burden to do that. And no pressure. But you have to decide if that's a burden you share. If you don't, that's okay. But if you do, then ask God, what were your part in? Because that is what God has called us to do as a family. Amen? I want to close by talking to one last group of people. My ultimate hope for this group of people is that what you've recognized today is how much Jesus has done for you. The sacrifice that he made. You see, Jesus recognized we could never in our own be right. We could never make up for our sins. We could never make up for the thoughts or the attitudes or the things we've done that are ungodly. And so he came to earth with one purpose, to die. And as he was getting ready to die, he made sure we all understood one point. He said, no one is taking my life from me. Don't misunderstand. No one has wrestled me to this. I voluntarily give my life for you. Jesus gave his life so that every single one of us could have eternal life with the Father in heaven that we would not have to pay for our own sin. And if you have yet to surrender your life, making him your king, I want to help you do that here this morning. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down. Just right where you're seated, I'm going to lead you in a conversation with him. Would you all join me in prayer? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.